We're in the midst of this series called A Unique Future, and this is week three of this four-week series, and it's an opportunity for us really to unpack this missional mandate that uh, we believe will guide us into the future of what kind of church we're going to be. And I just want to say just a couple of words as we begin this morning, this idea of being, number one, helping next generations. What does that mean? At, at one level, in, for us as followers of Jesus, uh, we are literally only one generation away from extinction, if you will, as, as followers of Jesus. That all of us as individuals have to respond to this person of Jesus. And whether or not we grew up in a family where our parents or grandparents were Christians, we, at some level, have to also make a decision and say, appropriate this for myself. And so, no matter if we're 90 or 9 or, you know, somewhere in between, if we're apart from God, if we are kind of wandering out there, wondering who this God is and this faith is, we want to be a church that would help that next generation of faith come to know Jesus. But what's been unique, I think, about Orchard Hill is its particular emphasis over the years, as I've learned and come to know more about uh, Orchard Hill, is this idea of helping next generations, that people who have followed Christ here at Orchard Hill have said, I want to invest in my kids and my grandkids and those people who are coming beyond. And today is a great example. Think about the, the people who are helping lead worship today. It's a next generation of worship leaders coming to practice and be a part of, of the church here. And so then you get into this idea of encounter. And last week we looked at this whole idea of encounter. We want to give people avenues and places where they can come to encounter Jesus. Why? Because we believe Jesus changes people. And so whatever way we can provide avenues and places for people to encounter Jesus, uh, that's what we want to be about. But even beyond that, today we want to look at that idea of following Jesus. Jesus encountered people, but he also invited them into relationship with him. I have a great little story out of the book of Luke. I want to read just as uh, we get started. It's the calling of Levi or Matthew. And Luke records these words. He says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. I love that. So Jesus encounters Levi, but then he says to him, hey, Levi, I want you to follow me. In other words, I want you to enter into a relationship with me. And Levi says, okay. And he leaves everything behind and he follows him. But then he goes on to say, but he had a party where all his tax collector buddies could come so that they could encounter Jesus. And in effect, he gets to tell them who this Jesus is. It's an amazing little story. So when I think about what it means to not only encounter, but to follow Jesus, I think what we're saying is this. We want to help people begin to join into a relationship with Jesus. We want to help them become more and more like Jesus. In fact, there's a, a theologian, a great theologian, his name is Robert Mulholland. He said this, 
This idea of encountering and ultimately following Jesus is like an invitation to a journey where over time we are shaped and conformed to become more and more like Jesus for the sake of others. That we would become more and more like Jesus for the sake of others. So in other words, to follow Jesus is to enter into a way of life where we would become more and more like him. It's a little bit like this. When I was a young pastor, I was served a church in northwest Iowa, and Ted and Hilda were a, a couple that I met at that time. They were in their 90s. Okay, They had been married for 74 years. 74 years. And they were just the sweetest couple. And they would walk, even then, hand in hand. But one of the unique things about them is that some people would mistaken them for being brother and sister. Because they had the same sort of mannerisms, they had the same sort of look, and over time, it's like they had taken on the same characteristics of each other. Over decades of walking hand in hand, they literally become one, one with another. That's a beautiful picture of marriage. But it's also a beautiful picture, I think, of what God wants to do with us. That through His Son, Jesus, He wants us to join hand in hand that over time, we would become more and more like Him. So the question for us today is, what does it mean to follow Jesus or enter into this relationship and what does it look like? So I want us to look at John chapter 15. Okay, We're going to actually spend most of our time there, but let me back it up just a couple of chapters to John 13 first. This whole section of John, from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, really you could look at it as a one sort of portion. Some scholars call it the upper room discourse. But it's really a time with Jesus where he's with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. But in John chapter 13, he begins to lay out this idea of what it means to engage in this followership. What does it look like? To follow me. And the very first thing he does when when he's with his disciples in the upper room is he takes on his outer clothing, picks up a towel and a basin, and he washes the disciples' feet. And he says in John 13, verse 14 this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So in other words, if you want to follow me, you want to enter into this lifestyle with me, where we can become one, we can kind of join hands together, I want you to be my hands and my feet. I want you to practice serving to sacrificially serve those around us. Now, I love the fact that, that at Orchard, Dave has often used this, this idea of picking up a paddle, that we together pick up a paddle, we engage, we, we serve, we sacrificially give, and we find a place where we can contribute to the body of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And we have amazing volunteers. We call them high-capacity volunteers around here who give their time and their energy and their resources and all of that. And I would encourage you, if you want to 
begin to follow Jesus, I think he invites us into that place where we begin to sacrificially give of ourselves towards others. But beyond getting sort of tasks done, okay, I think this is more about how we see people. How are we, as followers of Jesus, seeing people? Are we paying attention to them? Are we seeing the needs around us? And are we willing, then, to pick up a towel and a basin to wash their feet? To sacrificially serve? Because that's what really Jesus did. He saw in people the very image of God the Father. And he treated them with dignity and respect, and he served them. I love the story that um, Mitch Albom, who's a great uh, sports writer and journalist, writes in his book, Tuesdays with Maury. He, He befriended a guy by the name of Maury Schwartz. And every Tuesday they would meet together, and he learned so much from Maury, and he wrote a book about it. But he writes about Maury, this story. The Maury I knew would not have been the man he was without the years he spent working at a mental hospital just outside Washington, D.C. Having rejected medicine, law, and business, Maury had decided the the research world would be the place where he could contribute without exploiting exploiting others. Maury was given a grant to observe mental patients and record their treatments. While the idea seems common today, it was groundbreaking in the early 50s. Maury saw patients who would scream all day, patients who would cry all night, patients soiling their underwear, patients refusing to eat, having to be held down, medicated, fed intravenously. One of the patients, a middle-aged woman, came out of her room every day and lay face down on the tile floor. She stayed there for hours as doctors and nurses stepped around her. Maury watched in horror. He took notes, which is what he was there to do. Every day she did the same thing. Came out in the morning, lay on the floor, stayed there until the evening, talking to no one, ignored by everyone. It saddened Maury. He began to sit on the floor with her, even lay down alongside her, trying to draw her out of her misery. Eventually, he got her to sit up and even to return to her room. And this is what he wrote. What she mostly wanted, he learned, was the same thing many people want. Someone to notice she was there. Someone to notice that she was there. You see what I think Jesus was doing? He was noticing what was going on with his friends. He wanted this to be a special time. He decided, hey, I'm going to wash the feet. I'm going to take on this task of a servant and a slave and demonstrate something to my friends. Are we willing to be people who pay attention to others and pick up a towel and basin and to serve? If we're going to follow Jesus, I think that's the kind of way in which we ought to approach others around us. I've just been convicted of this last week, just looking at, at all that's happening. I think as Jesus followers who are infiltrating our workplaces and our neighborhoods and all this, how we view others matters. Are we going to 
with those we vehemently disagree, maybe politically or lifestyle or whatever, how will we treat them? I think Jesus in this little story of dealing with his disciples says, I want you to treat them with dignity and respect and serve them. Be my hands and feet first. But then he goes on in John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, this may be a very familiar passage to you, but uh, let me just remind you. He goes on to, to say these words in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain, 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 remain. In fact, in the first 11 verses, he uses the word, I think, 11 times. In other translations, sometimes they use the word abide. The word simply means this, to pitch a tent. To say, I want you to be here. I want you to dwell with me. I want you to be with me. Isn't that amazing thought that Jesus is saying, look, I want you to follow me, and the way you can follow me is just simply be with me. Come be with me. Remain with me. I want you to be here. Now, this is another, at least as I was kind of doing my research this morning or this week about this passage, I I went back in John you read in, in earlier in John, Jesus is describing his own relationship with the Father. Okay? And this is what he says in John chapter 5, verse 19. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Then in chapter 7, he says this, in verse 16, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. So in other words, Jesus is saying this. He said, whatever the Father tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever the Father tells me to say, that's what I want to say. My message is not my own. I I and the Father are one. In fact, I do what the Father tells me to do. I speak what He tells me to speak. Now in John chapter 15, here's the big connection point, okay? I want you to get this. Jesus is saying to His disciples this, the kind of relationship that I have with the Father, I'm inviting you to have with me. Remain. Come be with me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Spiritually speaking. So if we are to be followers of Jesus, to reflect Him, He is inviting us, I think, into this sort of conversational relationship where we, through prayer and Scripture and all these other sort of classic spiritual disciplines, if you will, learn how to be with Jesus. Just be with Him. That is an amazing privilege. 
that we have. Remain in me. So if we're to follow Jesus, we want to follow by modeling the sacrificial service. We want to follow Jesus by learning to be with Jesus. But we also want to learn to follow and live this life that Jesus is calling as we learn to love like Jesus. My command, he says, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I'm convinced if we're to follow Jesus, we get to be with Jesus. But now he's saying something else. I think he's talking to his disciples. So as disciples of Jesus, I want you to learn how to love the people around you. So as a follower, as one who imitates Jesus, am I loving my family, my spouse, my children, my friends, as Jesus loves me? Am I learning to love the body of Christ and the people in this room as Jesus loves me? Am I learning to love my neighbor as Jesus loves me? No greater love is this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now here's something else in this passage that kind of blew my mind. I once had a friend do this to me. I want to do it with you today. I want you to think about who in your world, your sort of circle of of relationships, would call you a friend. In other words, they say, "That, that person would call me a friend. They're my friend. Okay? Now think about that. Got that sort of list on your screen? Now on that list, do you have the name Jesus? For those of us who are followers of Christ, he says this, I no longer call you servants, I have called you friends. You are my friend. Isn't that amazing? Jesus calls us friends. He wants to have a friendship with you. To remain with me, be with me, learn how to love like me. And then he goes on in this chapter to describe even, I think, one more important thing if we're going to follow Christ. And that is, to bear witness, to tell others about what I've done for you. In verse 18, he says in, in this chapter, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So guess what? If you're going to follow me, you're going to probably run into resistance. Don't be surprised. The world won't understand. It's okay. He says it's okay because I'm going to be with you. In verse 26, it goes on, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In other words, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Spirit to you, this Advocate, who will advocate on your behalf. So don't be afraid. 
In verse 27, you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. In other words, if we are to follow Jesus, we want to model this sacrificial service. We want to treat people with dignity and respect. We want to pick up a towel in a basin. We want to remain with Jesus. Just be with Him. We want to love like Him. We also want to share with others what He's done for us. That's kind of bringing the whole circle of Levi, his story, right? Jesus encounters him. He says, I want you to follow me. And then what does Levi do? Immediately, he invites his buddies, the tax collectors, the sinners, and he says, hey, I want you to be introduced to this Jesus. I want you to hear from him. What does it mean to bear witnesses? It simply means I tell others what God has done for me. What has He done for you? Has He rescued you? Has He called you? Has He healed you? Don't be afraid to bear witness. You know, as I think about this idea of following Jesus, I think it's worth not only uh, this investment of our lives, but it's also worth doing it poorly. (laughs) So even if we do it badly, it's a good thing. And the beautiful thing is, God says, my mercies are new every morning. And I'm telling you, every morning I wake up and I say, thank you, Jesus, because I need your mercies today. But today... Help me to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to be your hands and feet. I want to learn what it means to love better my family, my neighbor, my children. Help me. Help me to follow you. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of me, men. Come. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm not going to make it burdensome, but it's light. It's good, and you will find rest. Let's learn together how we can impact the next generations. Let's help them encounter Jesus, but let's also be followers of Jesus and help others to follow Jesus so that we can bless a broken world. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that you call us into relationship. You call us to be people who are um, I guess blessed by you, by your grace. But you call us to be people who would reflect you and help others experience your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you've given us the privilege to be able to serve. Thank you that you rescued us from our own sinfulness and our waywardness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to become more and more like you, that we would willingly follow you. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for these people. Lord, I pray that we would together enter into this journey. 
And I pray it in Jesus' name.